Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in, invest in yourself today. As the name says, our listeners are business creators. We have our entrepreneurs, small business owners, and local business owners. We have the marketing and business coaches, consultants, and mentors. We have those who help create businesses, and we have the do-it-yourselfers who like to have your own hands on the levers. If you're one or more of the above, and many of our listeners who tune in every week, like me, are all of the above, please take a moment, explore episodes, discover how we help you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from the intersection of your brilliance and passion at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. Also check us out on platforms like iTunes. Be sure to subscribe. Every single week you'll get fresh content, including this episode, and you'll get immediate access to over 230 episodes and interviews on a breadth and depth of topics relevant to business creators just like you. Every five-star rating helps us serve more business creators just like you, so when you see something you like, be sure to let us know. Today, I'm very excited. This is a topic I've wanted to bring on the show for about two years now, and we've been looking for the right combination of factors and expertise to make this happen. So I am excited to introduce to you the topic of negotiating contracts with confidence, which I'll say very bluntly that a lot of people have absolutely no clue what to do with. So hopefully within the next 57 minutes, you will gain some insights that will help you negotiate contracts that will lead you to increase your rates, work with the best clients, and help many others like yourself thrive from the intersection of their brilliance and passion while doing so yourself. For this topic, it took me some doing, but I managed to make it happen for you guys. I brought to you Christina Scalera. She is the attorney and founder behind The Contract Shop, which is a contract template store for creative entrepreneurs, wedding professionals, and coaches. So if you are looking to answer the question of what should be in my contract, the combination of what we're going to discover today and what you can get from Christina will make this happen for you. So, Christina, come on board. The weather's fine. Jump on in. (laughs) Hey, Adam. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to talk to you and to talk to your audience today. As am I, and as have several folks who have written to us when they saw that you were going to be on the show, who brought with them some questions that we'll hopefully get some time to answer here before the end of the hour. We have so much to do here. But before we do it, (laughs) what I'd like to do for our listeners who are right now opening a separate browser tab, Googling you, trying to figure out who the heck you are, let's give them a chance to get to know you a little bit better. And in doing so, just tell us a little bit more about your personal journey and how it's brought you to where you are today, serving serving our business creators, see, I can barely get my words straight, I'm so excited, from the intersection of your brilliance and passion. Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, So I had a really non-traditional path to where I am now, um, which hopefully is encouraging to your listeners who are out there and they're thinking, what does what I'm doing right now have to do with where I'll be in five years? Um, I I asked myself that question a lot over the last few years until I founded the contract shop in 2015. So I graduated from law school, got an in-house legal gig, which is really, really difficult to get. Um, I didn't work for a firm. I had worked for a firm during law school. I decided that wasn't something I wanted to do. And I just kind of bypassed that, got an in-house job, which is, like I said, not not easy. Um, I was working on all their trademarks. I was a trademark attorney. 
And for a lot of different reasons, I decided to um, leave that job prematurely. So I had a lot of health problems going on, and um, I had been working full-time, going to school full-time, studying for the bar full-time. And quite honestly, Adam, I was just like totally burnt out. It was really, really bad. And it kind of left me in a bind because here I am. I graduated from my dream school, got my dream job, doing what I thought I was going to love, and I was – I was falling apart, literally, <laughs> like going to see doctors, um, fainting, like lots of problems. And so I had to do something drastically different. And I am a person who has zero moderation. So it's like all or nothing. So what did I decide to do? I became a yoga teacher, <laughs> which is like the opposite of being an attorney and probably why I chose it. Um, it turns out that it's really, really difficult to make a living as a yoga teacher, even teaching private yoga like I was. And um, it, it wasn't sustainable. But in doing that, I did learn how to blog. I learned how to create graphics for my blog. I was introduced to the creative community. And in getting that introduction, um, just kind of associating with them, going to creative conferences, literally just because I wanted to be there and I was interested and I, I didn't know anything about this world of graphic design and freelancing, I decided um, that, well, I didn't decide. People were coming to me with questions and I was able to be there as a resource for them. And so for a long time, I didn't go all the way in because there were like some people that were doing this, right? Like there's like LegalZoom and Rocket Lawyer and a couple right. of my more close competitors. Um, and I was like, oh, all those people are already doing this. I There's no room for me in the marketplace. And I'm so glad I didn't listen to myself when I was in that position and that I went all in eventually um, because there is more than enough for those people, those companies out there, and myself. Um, and so it really just started out of a need where I, you know, I was doing this, like, creative stuff, teaching yoga, um, trying to have a blog, and then on the side, not making enough money. And so I'm helping people with their businesses with all of my experts, well, not my knowledge and working for an in-house counsel job and um, doing trademarks, doing trademarks on the side, and then eventually – that became what is now the contract shop where I was helping people with their, their agreements. Um, and I thought there had to be a better way because a lot of people, they just couldn't afford an attorney. Um, they couldn't afford right. my hourly rates. And I was looking at, at templates that were elsewhere on, on other sites and saying to myself, like, this just isn't, there's, there's a missing piece here, right? Like the puzzle is almost complete, but it's not because these agreements that I'm finding elsewhere I mean, they're not taking into consideration the subtle nuances of whatever it is that your business is doing. So that's where the contract shop steps up and in and fulfills that gap because I'm able to fill um, those little nuanced areas and niches that, you know, a big provider, um, you know, not to name names, but those big companies out there, they just don't, mm -hmm. they don't have the resources and it's not worth their time or effort because they're focused on such different things than I am. Okay, I'm going to say something. Uh some folks may like this, some folks may hate this. Our attorneys that uh, follow us every week, uh, I mean this with love. Uh, I have found that sometimes when you hire high-end legal help that a lot of business creators just don't have it in their budget to afford between their web hosting, their team members, their insurance, and everything else, there's just nothing left to pay $4,000 for an attorney to go over and make sure all their I's are dotted and T's are crossed or vice versa. Well, the fact is, a lot of this stuff, there's really nothing new under the sun. And when you can find a resource that has already crossed a lot of those T's and dotted a lot of those I's for you, that can be a big help. I myself have invested in 
boilerplate contracts. Uh, I've consulted with others who have given me theirs and told me to R&D them. Uh, I've also cross-checked that against going to places where you can buy contracts and filling in blanks. I've even done the thing where I've had three contract templates in front of me, and I copy-pasted bits and pieces from each one of them and renumbered them and then added the clause that's relevant to my business. And I'm not saying anything that a lot of other business creators haven't gone through. So this is one no, of the reasons not. why I wanted to bring, yeah, yeah, I know. This is one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on here today. So let's uh, stipulate that a lot of what you offer in a contract shop will dot a lot of those I's and cross a lot of those T's. And what I want to get into today, at least where I want to start, is philosophy. Now you have a philosophy that I agree with, but I want to hear your reasons, is that contracts can create better relationships between companies and their clients and customers. So let's have you lead us off with that. Yeah, for sure, Adam. Um, I <laughs> there's nothing wrong with the Frankenstein contract, but you know there's there's a reason why attorney drafted contracts are probably a good idea if you can afford them, <laughs> even if they're just templates. Um, but good for you for consulting all that and and at least getting out there and doing that because that's that to me is the important part. I think too many people wait until everything is absolutely perfect to make a move, and then, you know, your competitors have outpaced you. So congratulations on just getting out there and doing it. Um, yeah, so I, I really feel like contract – well, I don't feel. I know. I've seen it. Where contracts are a really nice tool that you can use not just to instill confidence and trust with your clients, but also to show them that you're a professional, that you're there, you're on their side. And so one of the problems that we have, especially in America – is that we live in a really litigious society. So we hear about oh, people yeah. getting sued. Um, the things that, that happen that have to do with attorneys are usually uh, talked about in a negative context. We turn on the news, and it's always some annoying lawyer that, rah, 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 this person did that, and that person did this. and Or it's, um, you know, uh -huh. watching, um, what's that, that legal show that everybody loves that I don't even know what it is, but oh, the, God, the <laughs> Law and order. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's always, you know, this, like, horrible situation that people are dealing with um, in, con in the context of, of legal things in our lives until you start a business. And so I think if you're not work used to working in, like, a nine-to-five and you don't have any exposure to your legal department or your HR, maybe you do, and they're, they're what I call the no department, right? Like, every idea you bring to them, they say no, no, no. A good attorney, I think, says no, but, and then they figure out a solution for you. But unfortunately, a lot of in-house legal counsel um, just isn't to that point yet. Like, they're still very old school, and they're still saying no, 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 and just shutting it down so that they're not liable. But that's the other side. But um, really, what is the core of, of this client and business owner relationship, um, my goal is to, like, shed some light on that so that you can start to see contracts maybe in a different way. So you're starting to look at them as a tool that you can use to help book better clients, um, less price-resistant clients, clients that are actually really appreciative of you, the work that you're going to do. And um, I like to use it as a tool also to show them, to give them a taste of your services, to uh, give them a preview of what it's like to work with you, because there's so many amazing ways to deliver a contract um, including the, the way the contract is written. So, you know, a contract without legalese, the way to deliver it electronically to take into consideration your client's time and uh, resources, that you care about them. It's a very subtle way to show them, I care about you, I care about your time, I'm not going to ask you to do really dumb things like print this off and fax it back to me. I 
care about your time. I'm going to send this to you electronically. It's going to be a safer form of signature, and it's encrypted, and we have the exact date and time that you've signed it, and you can right. do it from your phone, right? So you're, you're taking into consideration um, and showing them how well you're going to care for them during your client-to-service provider relationship. Um, so there's, there's so many ways that you can use your contract as a tool to help instill this trust and this confidence in your clients. I think the biggest hurdle that we have as business owners, especially when we're working really B2C jobs and not just B2B, is helping our clients understand that the contract is a tool for their benefit as well. It's not this one-sided jab that um, we see on TV or that we're traditionally exposed to where the lawyer is, excuse me, but just trying to basically screw everybody over because that's not right. the case in these business situations. Yeah, and I don't think that lawyers really try and screw people over. I think it's just simply a matter <laughs> of making sure we have the right understanding. Every attorney that I've ever dealt with uh, fall within the category of some of the most upstanding, honest, ethical, good-hearted people that I've ever encountered. Uh, several of our listeners, I said to the Business Creators Radio Show, are attorneys. A couple of them actually deal in forms of law similar to what you work with. And it's, it's very important that we do this. Now, if you'll give me two minutes, I just want to read off a sure. brief horror story here that was told to me by somebody, <laughs> and I want to get your reaction to it. So okay. you, have, you have online marketer A and online marketer B. Online marketer A and online marketer B. Who just call A and B so I can say some words on this? Um, a and B uh, become friends, and they say, hey, you know what? Let's do a joint venture. Yay! Let's make money together. Combine our markets. Woohoo! <laughs> so they begin a service uh, that they offer to other business creators, the purpose of which is to do analysis to help those business creators understand where their additional opportunities lie within their marketing. So it's uh, critiques, it's consulting, that sort of thing. Now, A and B then uh, go into uh, – they, they do some of these critiques, and then they say, you know what? Let's, uh, let's do some joint projects together. And this is where the problems start. So let me give, tell you what some of the problems are. Uh, it emerges while they're doing their work together that A and B are just philosophical opposites about how to do business. So, they have, so the, one of the most painful things that happens between A and B is there are conversations between themselves about writing up the contracts that they're going to send to what's going to become their joint clients. Then we have a situation where A has good credit and has a merchant account. B doesn't. So A performs, um, I think it's called the fiduciary duty, where they're the ones that collect the money and the, you know, it's their responsibility and their credit and things like that. And there come some instances where B uh, seems like they're very happy to get paid, but when it comes to doing their half of the project, things tend to lag a little bit. I'm just being nice and saying it that way. So when it comes down to the client, the shared client being really ticked off, uh, the focus of that tends to end up on A's lap because they collected the money. And as a result of certain things, A ends up getting a chargeback to a credit card destroying their perfect record of no chargebacks, which upsets A to a great degree. B, well, how do we say this? Doesn't care. Uh, then we have situations where um, A continues to have their own business, and they're going out and they're getting other clients to do the stuff that A does in their business. Well, B is real quick to say, hey, I heard you signed on so-and-so. Where's my cut? 
and why wasn't I involved? Well, there was it's, – it's, A didn't say we're, our businesses are joint now, and they, A didn't recall being said that either. Uh, it was A's understanding that A and B are just going to do some stuff together. It didn't mean they were merging their businesses or creating a joint corporation or anything like that. So in the end, A and B broke up. Now, A also noticed something else that was going on during the process when A and B would get together and have their conversations about drawing up the contracts for their joint projects with their clients. Um, B would attempt to add 19 different services to the point where A would say, if you say and one more frickin' time and add one more thing to this agreement, I'm going to break us up. It, it was like that. And what happened is mm -hmm. they would send out a lot of contracts, and they would not get signed, and there would be no business. Well, A then ended up going back and approaching some of these prospects and said, hey, you know what? Between you and me, uh, let's leave B out of this. Let's just you and me have a conversation. Um, I just want to know for my own reasons. And I'm not going to pitch you again. I just want to know, um, why did you decide ultimately not to do business with us after you'd already said yes? And the feedback kept coming back that, well, when we got this contract from you, from you guys to sign, it didn't resemble anything like I asked for. It's like you added 19,000 different things in when really all I wanted was you to do this one thing. Now, A has thought about this over the years, and what A concludes is one of the biggest mistakes that A and B made that ended up um, ending their joint venture, which could have been a very great thing for both of them, is they had nothing written down that clearly identified what the scope of the joint venture was. For example, uh, some document that said, hey, A and B are getting together, and we are going to render this one specific service to the marketplace. We will do this one specific thing together. And then once this is completed, they, then the clients that they share will have a choice. Do they want to do some work with A's firm, or do they want to do some work with B's firm, or do they just want to go their own separate ways? In other words, it was never defined that the service that was included in the joint venture was really a shared lead generator. And had that been in place, it would have been a much better thing. Um, I can tell you right now, having heard this story, I'm in the process right now of working out a joint venture between myself and two other firms, where when we bring our combined brilliance and passion together, we're going to be off able to offer this one specific thing to the marketplace. And knowing this horror story that I've heard, uh, you know, right now, between myself and the other two firms, we're still in the process of working things out. We're not exactly sure who's going to do what. But when we get to the point where we're ready to show something to the marketplace, I'm going to be the one to say, guys, I'm real excited. We've gotten this all together, and we're ready to move forward with it. We need an understanding amongst us right now, a contract, if you will, so that we have a clear understanding of what it is we're doing jointly and what it is that remains separate or some cl clear statement that says, this is what we do together, everything else remains separate, so that we don't have disputes down the line about, well, hey, you stole my clients, or this is supposed to be my client. <laughs> and we also have a mechanism in place where we formulaically resolve any disputes or any you know, misunderstandings amicably in the spirit of whatever it is. So give me your reactions to my little horror story, and then tell me what you would have done differently, because you're the subject matter expert. <laughs> well, thanks, Adam. Uh, yeah, so first I just want to preface this and say that if this is a situation that anybody is finding themselves in, where there's a lot of money on the line or just something else that's of value, 
it's a good idea to seek out an attorney and at least have a consultation. A lot of attorneys won't even give consultations for free. This is a situation where I wouldn't hesitate to do that. Um, and then second, what I say here is just kind of my information and knowledge based on what you've told me. So I can't really give legal advice on the situation. So that's why I'm just saying, like, anybody listening, this isn't legal advice. Disclaimer, I would be a bad attorney if I didn't say that. So, um what I, I think most of the attorneys in the audience and myself are like jumping out of our seats to say about all this is why not form some kind of joint, not, um, excuse me, why not form some kind of LLC or separate company? Um, it's so inexpensive and easy to do that it's, I, I mean, it's something that's available today that wasn't available even as, as early as like the late 80s, early 90s. Um, right. LLCs, like forming a new LLC is always a good idea when there's a joint venture that's going to last more than uh, one short little burst or, or short little opportunity. So, for example, I see a lot of people doing joint webinars, and that's not a big deal, right? It's like a one-off thing. You're, you're getting together. It happens once, and then you move on. Both of you, you split your commissions, whatever, you move on. Um, but in the situation where there's a joint product or a joint service that's created, it's always a good idea to consider forming an LLC that's separate and apart from anybody else's company. And then to layer onto that, I feel like you gave me a law school exam question. I love it. Um, to layer onto that, the, the contract that would be in place there isn't necessarily a joint venture agreement um, because there's a lot of reasons to create that LLC, which we can get into in a second, um, but it would be an LLC operating agreement. And the way that I like to think about any kind of contract, but particularly this one, is I don't know if you have kids, Adam, but I have a nephew, and we have this giant toy box for him. And I think of a contract like this toy box. So, you know, you go to lunch with your potential JV partners, and you guys talk about one thing. So that's one kind of toy. That's one kind of conversation off to the side. Let's try to remember that. Then you have an email later on. Then you text each other. Then you maybe have a Voxer conversation. And so there's, like, lots of these little toys, a.k.a. conversations, um, and it's little tiny agreements all over the place, right? That's kind of like the toys scattered all over the room. What we want to do is we want to gather these toys up. We want to gather all these little tiny agreements um, and little tiny facets that, that belong in that contract and put them all in the toy box, all in the contract. And the reason for that is because of what you're talking about here. Um, when we have this agreement to form this, this kind of joint venture, this, this company that's providing a service or, you know, a lead generation for a couple of different companies, the problems come when we're not really clear about what's happening. Um, and so I think it happens out of either naivete or ignorance because people haven't done these joint ventures before. Um, they're not working with an attorney or what they have, what I call conference brain, where they go to a conference, they meet somebody, they're like uh -huh. high on the conference, they're so excited to do a joint venture. Uh -huh. And they they can't even imagine how this person would ever, you know, uh, be lazy or, or not fulfill their obligations that they said they would. So that's really where the problems come up. Um, and, you know, it's an easy prevention to just start that LLC, it's as cheap as 50 to 100 bucks in some states. Um, it doesn't matter what state it's formed in, and you are able to. Obviously, there's benefits in certain states, but I won't get into that. But um, but you form this LLC, you create this this operating agreement that defines exactly what your roles are, um, what you are going to expect out of that, and then how, most importantly, how that um, how that company is going to end, or like how one 
or more of the people can pull out of that company. Because one thing that we always forget about contracts is that it doesn't matter if it's a client or a JV or um, a new company that you're forming, things always end. And we have to consider that from the beginning so that we give ourselves these very clear exit routes. Um, whether that's due to bad behavior, so it sounds like B had some bad behavior here that might not uh, be benefiting this this JV, um, but also giving yourself the ability to leave when it's no longer a good fit for you or your business, and then defining the terms around that, um, and then like you said, the financial aspects of it, really, really getting into that, creating separate accounts, even if that's um, if that's possible. So you know. Join, uh, separate PayPal accounts, separate bank accounts, all of this stuff sounds like a lot of work, but in reality, it takes less than an hour to do. I mean, I, I, have, uh, I have three companies that have partners, um, but I mean, we're all members in three separate LLCs. So, I mean, it really, I've done this a lot for myself. I've done it for clients. It doesn't take that much time at all, and it can save you a lot of time later when you are trying to divvy up the assets of a company or figure out who owns what or who should have been responsible for what, it's so much easier from the very beginning to say, this is our toy box, here's the toys that go in it, and here's what you're allowed to take out and when, <laughs> um, rather than saying, oh, I think she said that was what she was going to do, but I don't know because it's not in our contract, and like this language in here is really vague. So I'm a big fan of specificity as much as possible, um, especially in defining any kind of numbers, so dates, numbers, um, financial uh, financial accounts, financial amounts, um, the more specific you can be with those, generally the better off you are because if someone in your contract is saying like uh, 30 days after the last blah, 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 sometimes it's really difficult to tell is that like 30 calendar days, is that 30 business days, but when you give exact dates, when you say on November 7th, you know exactly when something is happening. Um, so using that kind of specificity, looking out for those opportunities to be even more specific, and then going five layers deep. I mean, you guys are all business owners, you're marketers, you know that you have to ask why, and then go five layers deeper whenever you're asking and considering the pain points of your customers. And so for this very limited amount of time, as you're creating this new venture, um, as you're creating this operating agreement, asking what is it that I'm going to be performing in this company, and then going five layers deeper and saying, so instead of saying something like uh, managing financial records, actually defining what that means can be really, really helpful. Um, it doesn't mean that you're going to capture everything. There's no such thing as a perfect contract, but getting as close as you can to the specifics is generally a good idea, especially in situations like this where later on, there's no finger pointing. You go back to that contract, you look at exactly what it says, and that's what you agreed to when you were in a really clear, coherent, um, maybe not frustrated state of mind. Yeah, uh, and you know, you point out something that I think is very important because uh, you know, you you mentioned the uh, conference brain uh, when people meet each other and they and they meet up at the cocktail reception and say, "Oh boy, we're going to do a big, 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 big JV together!" Yeah. But then, uh, but then, uh, yeah, but then what they that happens is they is they discover that um, as they go down the line, uh, just because they had some fun over a couple of drinks, doesn't mean that that's going to turn them into uh, turn them into lovers for life, so to speak. So I so what I also love is the idea that uh, is the idea that folks can. Uh, just say, you know what, let's make sure that we have a 
let's make sure that we have an, an operating agreement that's uh, going to sunset or, you know, if you want it to do it for a fixed term or have, shall we say, a divorce clause, uh, whatever term you want to use, just so that they decide that, you know, this has come as far as it can, uh, we just need to go our separate ways, then, you know, let's do it that way for whatever reason. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's so easy to contemplate at the beginning, especially when you're super excited and happy and have that clear thought process happening. Um, and it's it's just honestly, it's I think it's a lack of uh, experience and maybe even some responsibility. I don't think men have as big a problem with this as women do, but like women just never want to. <laughs> I deal with a lot of women; they just don't want to contemplate the end of anything, right? They're like, "No, we're going to be best friends for life. This is going to be awesome. Uh-huh. I don't care if she takes sixty percent." And it's like this very romantic approach to business deal um so instead of that you know approaching it from i can't think of a word that's better than this but it's not exactly correct but like a more responsible place where you are kind of considering the downstream consequences um and and looking at it from different angles while you have the time and the headspace to do that and really the permission right like it's a little weird when you sign an agreement and then you take it to an attorney and be like hey is this okay like should i sign this or is this like not okay and then you have to go back uh-huh. to your, your business partner and explain this? No, it's completely acceptable and normal to get you guys draft up an agreement together. One of you drafts it, the other looks at like whatever it is at the beginning, and you just say, hey, I want to run this by an attorney. I think any rational right. business person would be like, cool, okay, normal. Um, so maybe that's another warning sign if they're like, whoa, no way, don't run this by an attorney. Uh-huh. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just, just looking out for yourself in the future I think is a, a really – it's a good idea in any business deal. And if, if you can't have that foresight, if you can't look to the future um, of that partnership, then why are you entering into it? Because this is the easiest time of the partnership. It's just like a like a romantic relationship. Like the easiest time is in the beginning when you guys love each other. And then, you know, time goes on, things happen, people have things come up in their life, if kids are born, um, you know, there's, there's hard situations, family members pass away, um, you know, your business goes through an economic downturn. I mean, there's lots of things that can happen that can really strain the relationship, um, both figuratively and really um, realistically. So making sure that you guys get this all sorted out while you're buddy-buddy and loving each other is always yes. a good idea. Well, you know, uh, my mother surprised me at one point a couple of years ago. Um, to answer your earlier question, um, I'm not yet married. And I don't have kids yet that I know of. At least I don't get any cards on Father's Day. Let's put it that way. And <laughs> I never thought my mother would say something like this, but I was pleasantly surprised. Um, and this was when I was at a point in my life where uh, uh, the big M was actually something that was on my horizon. And she said, if you're – if, you, if you're smart and if you've listened to everything I've told you over the years, you'll make damn sure that she signs a prenup agreement. <laughs> like, I'm a fan of this, now. too. That doesn't have to do with business, but, um, you know, yeah, you have now, fire insurance on exactly. your house, I'd hope. <laughs> right. Yeah. Now, now, when I went to this beloved of mine and I mentioned that, uh, you know, for the sake of protecting everybody involved uh, and because there is a business there is a business involved with this because I own businesses that, uh, right. that you know, for the sake of everybody's protection, just to make sure that everything runs smoothly, um, I'm going to, if you want me to consider this marriage thing, uh, we're going to have to do a prenup. And she balked at that, like, 
well, but you don't love me? Uh, if you don't trust me enough to marry me without a prenup, then I don't want to be with you. Well, that answered my question. <laughs> yeah, I can't speak to your personal situation, but for sure. Nor can I, I so um, that's two of us. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of just I mean because it's to me it's a list like I'm a list builder I love writing the right. list crossing lists off like to me that contract is um it's it's a it's a list where I can just organize everything that I've been contemplating and it's in one neat clean document so if I have any question. I know that I don't have to call my business partner up at 2 a.m. and say, hey, I'm thinking about leaving this business partnership. What do you think? I can go and look at that contract and it says, okay, I need to let her know with 60 days notice and then I have to do this and that and the other thing. And then we can separate, you know, and this is what I'll get when I separate financially. This is what she'll get and this is what I'll have to pay, whatever it is, right? So it's the safeguard in place where you can go back and reference at any time and, I mean, I know we're talking about this – right now I'm talking about this in terms of the operating agreement, but this yes. is crucial for your clients, too. Like, your clients are looking. That first thing that, that most of them are doing, even if they're not reading the whole thing, is they're looking at that cancellation provision and saying, how much money am I going to owe if I have to cancel or if I have to go a separate way or if this doesn't work out? That's, like, guaranteed they're looking at that. They might not read anything else in there, but they're looking at things like that um, – and they're looking at it in, in in stressful situations, too. So they're looking at it at 2 a.m. Right. So here you have this beautiful list that you can go through that you can access at any time, and it's, it's not changing. It's there for your benefit, for their benefit, and they can trust you to adhere to that because you're working through the rest of the services that you said you'd provide, um, and you're, you're fulfilling you're, – you're making good on that promise that you have there in that contract. So, Right, right. And, you know, contracts – protect everybody involved so coming back to strictly talking business uh you know we see this a lot with web design firms and the majority of web design firms out there that are strictly development and design firms uh not digital marketing firms because there's a big distinction here between the two uh they you know their approach to the content for the website is all content will be provided by clients and i used to own a web design firm myself and that was one of our uh, provisions. It was always a bullet point in the agreement, all, all content to be provided by clients. Well, we had this one client who kept trying to persuade me that I had agreed to a whole bunch of stuff that I would never have agreed to in my, even in my delirium <laughs> state. That's how far off board it was. Sure. And, uh, and they kept asking for clarity. I said, well, go back and read the agreement you signed. They said, well, I don't have it. I'd keep resending it to them. And it would keep coming up. Well, I don't have it. I don't have it. Well, then we got to the point with this uh, with this uh, with this client where I said, "Okay, we've now done everything. Uh, you're all done. This now we get to the point where we have the uh, the final wrap up call to make sure all your questions are answered." And son of a gun, wouldn't you know it? Five minutes later, they I get this email from saying, "You haven't done anything we agreed to." Oh, and uh, here's the agreement. Look at all the marks I made on it. You know that agreement they couldn't find that they didn't know where it was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, not only did they have it, but they were able to send me a picture of it they took with their iPhone where it had coffee stains and wrinkles and tears and their handwriting all over it. So, come on. Now, then I was able to go through and say, okay, so you're claiming we didn't do that. So what do you call this? You're saying we didn't do that. Well, do you remember the three conversations we had about the fact that we had done that? And uh, 
and uh, all those other things that uh, you say we didn't do that you think I agreed to, where in the agreement are they? So I shut that one down real quick. Fortunately, because you know how some clients are previous clients for a reason? Sure. And when you think about it, when you think about it, that protects the client as well. So if you have somebody who maybe themselves are not so sure on what they agreed to or they're or they're they're finding that uh, you know after the romance of signing the deal and getting started with the work, they find out that the nitty gritty is something they weren't expecting. That is something that they can hold on to as well and be able to reference and say, you know what, this is this is definitely here. So I'm going to press them to make sure I get that. This is not here. So uh, maybe I should ask them about that. Maybe see if we can add that on to a change order. And this I'm not sure of, so I think I need to have a conversation with them. And if need be, we do an addendum to this to clarify that. So it works. It works both ways. Uh, in my in my personal yeah. experience. Yeah. And Adam, I want to point something out. Is how much easier is it to point back to that agreement that they signed and show them, hey, you agreed to this. You initialed right next to it. This is your handwriting, right? Or this is your electronic yeah. signature, right? Um, it's so much easier to say that and have that conversation than it is to say, well, you said, well, I said, uh-huh. well, you texted me. And then it, it kind of makes the, the contract a scapegoat in a way um, right. where you are the one to blame. The contract is the scapegoat. And so it, in my opinion, it softens the blow a little bit, which is nice because you never, even if it's a client that you're firing, which to be honest, I think it's a good sign that you're doing something right in business, that, that you have enough clients that one of them is angry and upset with you. Um, yep. But, you know, when you do eventually fire that client and they're no longer on your client roster, it's, it's just a much easier conversation to have to say, well, you did sign the contract and this is what it says. So, you know, do you want to go our separate ways because you agreed to this and now you're not willing to hold up your end of the bargain? Then, well, you said right. you were going to do this and you wrote it on that napkin and I still have that napkin. It's just it's so much easier to blame the contract than it is to blame the person. Sure don't it feel is. as personally yeah. attacked. Right, right, Preci- precisely. Well, in this case, you've heard the expression previous client for a reason. <laughs> you run, you sure. run into those sometimes. So, you know, some of the things I think we've made pretty clear are, uh, you know, when you know that a contract is necessary, and we think we've covered through uh, through examples and illustrations a lot of the risks of not using a contract. There are many others, but if what we've covered in our 35 minutes so far hasn't gotten people thinking, I should really tune in and lean into this, then I'm not sure what else to say. Uh, so let's move on to something you said earlier. I told you about some of my experiences, and you said, oh, the Frankenstein contract. So, Christina, why shouldn't a new business build their own contract or use a free template off the web? Kind of a funny question for me to ask you, so I'm awaiting your answer. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, it's funny because attorneys don't really have that many tools that are different than what the public has, especially if they're solo attorneys. Um, You know, like if you're at a big firm, then you probably have access to something called LexisNexis, Westlaw, FastCase, et cetera. Um, Most attorneys, like like my firm, uh, we only have access to that during litigation. Um, So I should also, I just mentioned something. So I have two businesses, right? I have my law firm and I have the contract shop. Right. Um, When I created these templates, they were the templates that I was using over and over again in my firm. Um, but so I just wanted to make that distinction that they're different. But one of the things that attorneys have available to them and kind of the only benefit, in my opinion, of going to law school is that you learn what you do need to have in those agreements. And so it's not that you can't just pull things off the Internet and kind of 
duct tape everything together into this franking contract, um, it's that you don't know if you have everything that you need. Like you don't know how um, how to phrase something. You don't know if phrasing it in a different way is going to change the meaning of that provision. So even if you have all the right provisions, it could still maybe not come together as cleanly and as clearly as possible. Um, you could be repeating things. This is the biggest mistake I often see people making is they repeat things. And what repeating provisions in a contract does is it introduces ambiguity. Because if you right. have two two provisions that are saying almost the same thing, they're not going to say exactly the same thing, which one right. wins? And it's not such a big deal until, like, they're both about termination. Because for whatever reason, everybody that DIYs their own contract, they're really, really concerned about the cancellation. So they have that in there, like, five times because having it in there five times in their mind is somehow going to make that better than just having it once and very clearly written. Um, in the case of contracts, focus over quantity is more important. Uh, and so that's something that professionally drafted, whether a template or a custom template or a custom contract that you had drafted, um, that's what the attorney is going to be there doing for you is making sure that you have things in there clearly stated once and no more than that so that there is no ambiguity. So, you know, it's not that you can't DIY your own contract. It's just that you're you're taking that and you're taking on that liability versus outsourcing that liability to somebody else and then also relying on them for their brain power just like I'm not a great marketer, so I rely on a marketing team to help me with my efforts. Um, right. Likewise, they don't know anything about contracts or uh, what a contract needs to be valid or anything like that, and so they rely on me. So it's it's kind of like this um, – it's almost like a grocery store relationship, right? Like you don't go to the grocery store and show up with all your produce and then trade it. You just show up and somebody else who is an expert at farming tomatoes has provided the tomatoes. And somebody else who's an expert at um, like macaroni and cheese has delivered their macaroni and cheese to the, the macaroni and cheese aisle or the sauce aisle. Um, so you just show up in your like as you are, who you are, and then you're relying on these experts at the grocery store to provide you with the best product possible. Similarly, I think it's the same thing in business. Um, so, you know, if you don't know Facebook ads and you try to DIY them, you're probably going to end up with a tangled mess of pixels and all these problems. But if you just rely on a Facebook ad manager or you rely on a digital marketing agency to kind of set you up for success, you might be able to take over at some point. But at least you had that there as a Kickstarter to your professional um, ability to manipulate those ads instead of right. just trying to DIY it from scratch. Right, and you know, you brought up a really good point uh, when it talks about ambiguity. And you know, we've and I've seen myself in the Frankenstein contracts. If you're gonna if you're gonna you know take uh, three different pieces of three different templates and put them together, uh, you better not only read through that thing several times on several different days with a clear set of eyes. You might want to get somebody else to read that just to look for those things because even I've caught a few of those. Like, oh crap. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So one <laughs> almost says this, one definitely says that. Uh, you put them, you put them together, and you have enough space between those two things to at least fit a, a soft pretzel. That's not a good thing. Sure. Yeah. One, one more thing I want to add, and this, this is for any like you, I don't care if you buy my templates. I may, I might not be the person for you. Um, but one thing I want to add is that I, when I have clients in my law firm paying me a lot of money, right? Lawyers are expensive. I am not the right. exception over there. Um, right. 
I try to tell them, I beg and plead with them, please get a template. Please do not let me custom draft your agreement. And the reason for that is because it's like reinventing the wheel every single time. And so I would much rather drive around on wheels that have been tested over the last 100 miles than wheels that are like brand new and I don't know if they're going to work. Um, so those templates, whether it's from me or somebody else, I know that I can say for ours, I'm constantly updating that and I'm constantly hearing those horror stories and uh, getting getting those that information from lots of different sources. If it's only your template, if it's only something that you DIY'd and put together yourself, you're going to have to go through about 10 years of experience to end up with a contract that resembles something that has been tested by hundreds, if not thousands of other people um, that you're starting off from. So I think that's the other benefit of having a template to start with rather than doing it yourself because you're not throwing yourself under the bus 10 times before you finally get to a place where your contract resembles somebody who, um, you know, a, a contract that's been around the block a few times. Right, true. That, something very something very important to think about. So let's say that you have a potential client that's just sort of dragging things out about not signing the contract. Uh, what can you do to move that process along? Because I find um, that sometimes I, I lose it at the point where we get to the paperwork. Yeah, so I have a kind of controversial answer for this. Um, I Bring think it. you have to close them on the sale. Yeah. yeah, I think you have to close them, and if you don't close them on that sales sales call that you have with them, if they are not like itching to sign your your agreement, your proposal, um, if if it's not like an automatic yes for them on that call, then it's not the contract. You have to reevaluate your sales process and look at why you're not closing more clients or why that client was dragging their feet. And it's perfectly acceptable to ask them. Say, hey, you haven't signed this in two weeks. We had a great call. Is there a reason why? you don't want to work together, it seems like. Like, no hard feelings. I'm just trying to improve my process. So right. I think I think it's more about the sales process at that point. Um, now, if they come back to you and they say, I couldn't understand your agreement. I, it, it had too much legalese. It, it didn't make sense to me. I didn't like this clause. Um, first of all, you have to decide, like, are you willing to work with a client who's not willing to give you feedback, which is a very dangerous place to be in um, because they're not telling you when they don't like something that you provided them. But second, right. you have to evaluate and say, okay, well, maybe if more than one person is consistently saying this, I need to change this. I need to make it more friendly for them. I need to make it more accessible and understandable for them to sign this. Um, how can I right. do that? So, you know, an easy way is if you're sending print contracts, go online. Electronic is the way to go. It's where right. all the court systems are moving. I mean, I – insurance people are the worst at this. I, I don't I think they hate my money actually because right. they just keep asking me to print things and fax it back to them and it takes forever. Um uh -huh. so you know it's it's just an easy solution to go online. Um and there's no excuse. There's so many free signing platforms. There's HelloSign, DocuSign, BondSign. Like there's tons that are uh that's not even like client management systems. That's just contract signature platforms. And those yeah. are all free um or free up until a certain point. So yeah. Anyway, I think there's no excuse to be to be. Uh, I don't think your contract is a, is an excuse uh, to not close clients. But I I also think there's a second component, which is you need to do a better job at pitching and, and selling yourself, so that they are just like falling over themselves at the end of that call to to give yeah. you their credit card information. I think I think there's a lot. I think there's a lot to that. And uh, you know you know what I do is 
uh, when somebody says send me the paperwork, I, I don't send it. In fact, if the, if the conversation gets to send me the paperwork, I'll take a look at it. Then I know I've screwed up. Uh, you know, my process normally <laughs> is, I, you know, like let's say let's say that you and I were talking about doing business, and you were thinking about becoming a client of the Business Creators Institute. Oh, wouldn't that be fun? So, uh, what would happen? is uh, you, you and I would have a conversation, maybe we have to have two conversations, whatever it is, to get us to the point where we kind of feel like there's some synergy, we have some specific items we want to work on, some actions we want to take together. So what I'll typically say is something like, uh, you know what, you've given me so much great information, Christina, thank you so much. Uh, just so that I get this right, I want to take a day or so and just go over some things, uh, do a little research, put some stuff together. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to schedule a follow-up so that we can answer each other's questions after we both have a chance to do this. Uh, and then we set up the follow-up call. So like, say, today's Tuesday morning, or we'll say, you know, Thursday morning, let's have a follow-up call. And then we'll get on that call, we'll go back and forth, and then I'll say, you know, look, you have thought, have thought about all this together, and then I'll just speak out what I believe the proposal is, and then I'll, and then I'll walk, through the, walk through the process and get you to the point where I give the number and everything. Uh, you'll usually pause and say, oh, shit, I thought I was getting this for free. What the hell? And <laughs> you'll think about it, you'll hem, and you'll haul, and you say, you know what? This really is a great deal. Uh, let's do it. And I'll say, fantastic. Now, at that point, what I'll say is, okay, so we'll talk about the paperwork and such at the end, but let's get things moving right now. So when is our getting started call? What, you know, what is our first goalpost? So I've already created the environment that we are working together. And then once we have you know, the next appointment booked on our calendar, when we know that each of us owes something to the other and we've agreed we're going to do it, I say, all right, so you know, it's been great chatting with you. I look forward to our first uh, consult consulting strategy call on Monday. Uh, and uh, I will have the uh, and I'll have the document to you in just a second. Just give me a second. Send. There it is. So they don't only really have to say yes, but they have to show me that they're taking the actions where we're actually doing stuff before I'll even let them see paper because I want them to feel they're already in the deal. Now, if they don't sign it or they don't pay, then I haven't really done anything that's cost me any time. Yeah, I mean, I, I love your sales process, and I mean, if it, if it works, then it works, and it, it, it sounds like it does. So that's, that's definitely something that I think the listeners should be paying attention to. And, um, you know, just looking at the contract as the tool in the sales process, that basically cements that relationship, right? Like, you can, you know, also, Adam, something that you reminded me of as you were talking is, like, if there is anything that you feel like would be helpful, like, if you could hear them hesitating, Calling out those elephants in the room and talking about how you've already accommodated for that in your contract yeah. is also sometimes a little bit of a helpful sales tactic and right. you hear them wavering. Um, right. And what so, yeah, what I mean, that's else that – Oh, yeah. Yeah. And what also works for me is that, um, is that uh, after I get to that point, I'll have the foundational Word document open. So that if um, so that if they raise questions and say, hey, can we throw this in, or if we end up having a little negotiation on the pricing or what have you, I can just make those changes in real time. That must install a lot of trust in your customers because if somebody was on so. the phone <laughs> and taking that much care and time to right. listen to me and my concerns, I would be incredibly thrilled to work with that right. service provider. 
Right, now we have about eight minutes left here, and I have uh, two questions for you. Um, one of which, actually, we might only get to the one, so let me ask the one that's most important. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, and what I want to do is I want to define the term signature, because there is something out there that I see a lot of folks doing, and I've never really seen this challenge. Maybe you all have a different view on this, but, you know, you talk about, well, you want, you want me to print out paperwork and fax it and send it back. Now, I know that with my accountant, when I need to physically sign documents for him, um, it's apparently completely accessible to the IRS if I take a photograph of that document and email him the document because then he can, you know, then he can paste it into a PDF. So that seems to be mm -hmm. working for that. Now, what I, now that's one way of getting around the whole fax machine because who is, in this day and age can't use their smartphone to take a picture of something? And even if you don't want to text with somebody, you can very easily say, okay, I've taken the picture, share via email and you email it to them, or share via Dropbox, and it goes right to their Dropbox. You can even do Hightail or, or pretty much anything you want through apps on your phone. I mean, your phone is a computer. You don't need a fax machine. Mm -hmm. Now, what I've seen some folks do is a way of, is a way of getting deals done, and, uh, and I've heard a lot of positives about this, so I want to see if there are any drawbacks, is in the contract itself, you state the terms by which the contract becomes valid. One of which is sign, date, fax back to this number, or sign, date, make a PDF, email back uh, to this person's attention with this subject line so we, know it's the, so we know it's the contract. Now, another thing I've seen is option C, which is uh, reply, which is send an email to this specific email address where you say, yes, I agree to the document and have them spell out the name of the document. I want this payment plan. I authorize you to make. I authorize you to charge my payment on this date, and by doing so, I stipulate that I become your client. And then the agreement says that email, combined with successful processing of either the upfront payment, if it's a, if it's a due upfront, or the first installment payment, means we now have an agreement. We're now in business. Yeah. So, what would be your question around that? Just my question is: there okay? any, My question is: there anything wrong with that? Well, there's a couple ways to accept an agreement, right? So an agreement actually isn't valid unless there's offer, acceptance, and then consideration. And consideration right. is something we haven't really talked about here. Um, I Let's mean, do I it know now. you know what it is, but essentially, what's that? Let's, Let's do it, do now. it okay, now. Okay, so yeah, so cons okay, so obviously you guys know what an offer is, right? I want to work with you. I want to provide you with website design services. That's an offer. Right. The acceptance, I would love that. I, I definitely want to work with you. Send me the contract. They sign or they just say I'm going to – or they just make a, a payment, right? So that's acceptance. Right. So we have two ways to accept, um, really, which is implicit or explicit. So explicit, they right. sign the agreement, and then, you know, in good faith, you're, you're going to send them an invoice and they're going to pay it at some point. Um, right. The other way is that they don't sign the agreement and they just pay that first invoice or they say, absolutely, I'm out of town or whatever their excuse is. Right. Get started on the work. I'll pay you when I get – I'll pay and sign when I get back. You get started on the work. That's also a form of acceptance. So that's right. offer and acceptance. And then we have consideration, which is um, basically both of you joining or whatever two parties or three parties, four parties, whoever's joining the contract – you guys all have to give – each of you has to give up something of value to you. So, for example, in this very basic example, the website designer is giving up their time and talent. They could be spending that time with their family on the beach, cruising uh -huh. Facebook, but instead they're, they're developing your website. 
And then the person on the other side, the client, in this situation, this example, is giving up money. And obviously money could be spent right. on a new car, a new house, whatever. But instead they're spending on the website design with you. So that's the consideration. So there's not necessarily – there's not a contract form when it's a gift, right? So you come to your, your brother-in-law and you're like, hey, brother, I would love to, like – design you a website because you're just so kind to me and I love you so much uh -huh. and you design him a website and then all of a sudden you're coming back to him and you're like hey you never paid me for that website he's like what are you talking about it's a gift there was no consideration there so that might not be a valid uh -huh. agreement anything that you guys signed could be considered not not valid so um, right. that's just a little bit of a like a contract primer and I promise that's just like boring legalism and it gets but <laughs> it goes back to the question that you had which is uh, when it comes to signing these agreements, what is enough? And so to be safe, this this obviously I should make the caveat that there's there's different state laws in every state. If you guys are listening outside right. the United States, you're in Canada, different provinces, there could be different rules that apply. But generally speaking, the contract is accepted um, when the work begins. So you, you start the work in good faith because someone has told you, you have my permission, start, get started, you know, I'm, I'm going to pay you when I get back, whatever. Right. Um, that could be an acceptance or, you know, the best, safest way, in my opinion, um, that I would always personally have people do is sign that agreement. And the bigger right. issue sometimes that I see is that the service provider who sent the contract forgets to sign it. And then, you know, a year or two later, when there's a problem with the contract, problem with the service um, agreement, the client comes back and says, this was never valid. You never signed it. And there have been instances, yeah. a lot of instances, where the court is like, the client's right. This is invalidated. You never signed the agreement. You had two years to sign it. You never did that. So I think the yeah, that's thing to why, do is always yeah. to sign it. Yeah, that's why when I, when I send the PDF attachment, my signature is on it. So that they're replying by email saying, yes, this is good. I agree to this. I'm ready to get started. Go ahead and make, go ahead and make, you know, take the payment using their credit card I've authorized. Let's get this going. Um, they can point to something that says I signed, and I can point to something that says they signed. <laughs> I right. mean, it sounds it sounds good to me. Um, you know, I, I think it's always, like I said, the safest thing to get those signatures. And I am oh, a yeah. huge fan of those electronic signatures. Um, oh, yeah. Mostly because people can forge signatures, but it's really hard to forge an IP address that's connected to your computer that requires a login. Oh, yeah. That's on your oh, Wi-Fi yeah. network. So it's, in my opinion, it's much safer to have an electronic signature um, but, you know, I'm also a millennial, so you guys that don't like that, you can blame that answer on that. Um, but I, I think it's just time to get with the times and have electronic signatures on, on anything that you can, um, the exception being something that's kind of outside the scope of what we're talking about here. So any kind of, like, real property or, like, super permanent agreement, your will, your trust, yeah, your state. Yeah, I wouldn't any, do that without paper. Yeah, those – those are still, yeah, those still need to be executed yeah. on paper, sometimes with a notary. But, you know, business to business, business to client type deals, um, I mean, it's just your clients will love you forever. <laughs> Offer acceptance consideration. So, Christina, you're not going to believe this. We're at the end of our time. And we have a minute. I will believe it, but it has been so fun. Yeah. yeah. We have a minute and 20 seconds left, and I want to give you at least half that. <laughs> you have something to in today. Yeah, if you guys want to DIY your own contract, you have one that you like, go to Rock Solid Contracts at rocksolidcontracts.com. It doesn't matter. Either one's going to take you there, and we've laid out the blueprint for you. You don't even have to buy one of our templates if you don't want to. Um, that's just there completely for your benefit for listening. Wow, wow. So we go to rocksolidcontract.com, 
and we can download that. That's really awesome. So I really appreciate that, Christina. So for everybody, uh, we've uh, been so honored to have Christina Scalera of the Contract Shop with us today, and thank you for being with us. It's been an honor and an education. Thank you, Adam. You bet. So for everybody listening, this is Adam Homey, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please check out our previous and our upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com and on iTunes, where we help you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from the intersection of your brilliance and passion. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.